0: Hi everyone, I'm Aviva Rumani, and welcome to episode 47 of Kindred Cast, Lion Tree's biweekly podcast featuring insights from deal makers and thought leaders from the world of tech, media, and everything in between. Today, Tim Bleakley, the CEO of Ocean Outdoor, the UK's pioneering digital out-of-home advertiser, joins Lion Tree CEO Arya Borkhoff to talk about the transformation the industry is going through. Tim is a veteran of the media industry having held senior leadership roles across commercial TV, radio, and outdoor in the UK. Listen as R.A. and Tim discuss Ocean's journey from startup to now a recently listed company on the London Stock Exchange, and why the outdoor business is a key sector to watch. Enjoy the conversation.
1: Thank you for joining us on Kindred Cast. Uh, we have a special podcast today because I am actually sitting in our offices in London talking to a friend, uh, Tim Bleakley, who is the CEO of a company called Ocean Outdoor. And just to set the table here, because this is a unique podcast session uh, for me, Lion Tree as a company does endeavor to get ahead of certain themes in the broader media, technology, telecommunications industries around the world. That is our goal that governs our deal-making, et cetera. In that mantra, we have really centered in on the outdoor advertising business, not just from a Liontree broader core advisory perspective, but in this case, also from an investing perspective. Liontree is a founding shareholder of Ocelot, which was the investment vehicle that purchased Ocean, the company that you're CEO of, in March of 2018. So Liontree is a shareholder now of Ocean. I personally play an active role as a member of the board of directors of the company. So this is not just a a personal conversation, but a conversation among uh, business peers. So thanks for being here. Yeah, Yeah. thanks, Tim. I appreciate it. You're on the hot seat here. (laughs) Yeah, and also it's nice to be here in London because obviously that's where Ocean operates in the UK, most famous for its Piccadilly Lights display. We're going to talk about the Ocean business, the outdoor advertising business, But give us a sense now that we're sitting here to get kicked off the right way of what is Piccadilly, because you can't walk down the streets of London without noticing this screen. Yeah,
2: no, it's been a personal favourite for mine and actually a 10-year ambition in a way because we first started talking to and dealing with Landsec seven or eight years ago on other projects. And uh, we were always fascinated by what Piccadilly Lights was. And in the past, it was a kind of quirk of the industry. For those who might not know, it was six individual screens that were owned and operated by individual brands via Landsec. Over a period of time, as anybody would know in the media sector, budgets have become more short-term. Even brands like Coca-Cola, for them to hand over millions of pounds every year and type their marketing expenditure in one location was becoming more difficult. So you had these six screens, six individual brands, all with different technology, some of it very old, you couldn't sync anything, you couldn't do anything dynamically, et cetera. It's the largest single branding platform we would argue in the world. I know there is one screen larger in uh, Times Square, but you can't brand it all on one brand all the time. It's certainly the largest in Europe. And now you've got six brands that can share that screen in rotation, which is the old Piccadilly lights, what it's iconic for. But then every nine or 10 minutes, one brand takes over the whole screen. Plus you've got data in there. You've got the ability to change copy via certain levels of data and interaction. So anything you can do on any screen in the world, including the screens you carry around in your pocket, you can do on Piccadilly. And what we found over a long period of time at Ocean is you know, you can take something that might have been done on a small screen somewhere else in the world and you do it on something the size of Piccadilly and everybody thinks that was the first place it was done. So it's a phenomenal branding platform. It's proven a huge hit with advertising brands Samsung, Coca-Cola, more recently, Google and Twitter. I think the other thing why we're so passionate about it is because for a long period of time, the location, as you quite rightly said, was a world-famous location, uh, but the actual technology and what it delivered for the brands had started to age a little bit. So bringing this into the sort of 21st century and suddenly putting it back on the map has really had a positive halo effect for the whole industry, actually, not just for Ocean. It's really cemented the uniqueness of the United Kingdom market in pioneering digital out of home. So we're very proud of it. What we've done with Piccadilly is taken something similar that we've done in the top dozen cities in the United Kingdom. Ocean is famous for operating the equivalent of a Piccadilly in each of those 12 cities. And really what we've done is we've brought Piccadilly up to speed with where we'd taken the industry and where the industry has been headed over the last four or five years, when actually, for the first time in its history, it had fallen behind. So you have this double impact. You've got the wow effect of the fact it's the largest screen, but then suddenly the fact that it's capable of doing all these things that have been around for two or three years on this giant scale gets that sort of two and two equals five effect that brands and consumers are experiencing.
1: Yeah, well, unlike Times Square, where there are many screens demanding uh, your attention all at once, When you're walking through Piccadilly, it's really the only thing in town. It's really staring right at you. Give people a sense of where it is. Piccadilly is where Mayfair meets Soho.
2: It's where the finance meets the funk, you know, some might say. Uh, So you've got these communities, vibrant, creative communities, media advertising, more latterly technology-based companies, a lot of the creative and digital production areas of all the things that Soho is famous for. And then, of course, you've got, you know, the hedge fund community and the high-end and a sort of premium not unlike yourself, Ariane Line, tree based in Mayfair. So you've got it's absolutely at the center point, center of the dartboard of those two communities in London. But as a location, you are absolutely right. There is only one
1: Tim. One of the key reasons why we chose to invest in back Ocean as a firm is because of management and as CEO of Ocean, I wanted to talk a little bit about your background and let's frame what is the Ocean outdoor business and what the advertising business looks like overall for the outdoor segment. You've worked for companies like ITV. You've worked for companies like EMAP Advertising, which is now Bauer, CBS, Viacom Outdoor. You've been in and around commercial TV, radio, in leadership roles. How does the outdoor segment of advertising compare to media as a whole?
2: It's coming up to 14 years in, in out of home as a medium. And uh, I think this year is my 30th year in uh, UK media in one guise or another. Most of my career has been spent in uh, content and editorial-based media, which everybody, of course, is familiar with. And it's the one thing that always catches people by surprise uh, when we talk about out of home. But as a uh, someone who's worked within creative industries that have had a very hard-edged commercial angle because the cut and thrust of commercial television and commercial radio, you've got to be able to ferociously trade and sell. But also you've got to be creative and you've got to be able to understand how editorial works, how programming works and what the relationship is with the consumer. The big difference between all the industries I've worked in the past and out of home is there is no editorial within the industry as such. So you don't necessarily have the friction between the program director or the program director in radio, or it might be the producer in TV saying, well, look, it's this content and you can have this brand that sponsors it and it has to work in this way where you don't have the creative freedom on the media side to do many of the things that you are able to do in out of home. In out of home, the commercial team is also the creative team. So the management, the people who operate the assets, the people who create the media platform are also, in effect, have got a blank canvas because the medium is the message. So if we decide to display content, if we do a deal with the Olympic Association to put content on our screens, the British Fashion Council to put content on our screens, more latterly, NFL. We've just done a deal with NFL. We've just done a deal with Formula E. I suppose that one of the things that Ocean has pushed really, really hard with the management team, because we're a management team that's made up of good old-fashioned out-of-home people and media people and technology people, who've gone, okay, if you start afresh, what would you do? And what you do is you take, I suppose, the community-based heritage that you have in commercial radio, and you would take the brand impact and strong content relationship that you get in linear TV. You combine those things and you say, right, okay, well now can we can take some of the best things you've got in tech. So we can have a relationship between the screen that you've got on the streets that's similar to the screen you've got in your pocket, which means there's a two-way relationship and interactivity between the screen. You combine those three things and then you create a different media platform. So what the management teams tried to do, Ocean over the years, is take a little bit of the best of all of these other media and then put it on this blank canvas. And now I think we're on the verge of moving away, moving into a situation where we started as a business-to-business brand and we're business-to-business-to-consumer. So, for example, just this weekend at Westfield, actually, the latest uh, Dragons movie animation, uh, and they've taken over the whole of Westfield. They've got full motion display. They've got interactive. They've got a games console where people could come in and you know pet their own dragon. I mean, the whole thing is an interactive consumer experience, which is combining all those things that I just mentioned. So, uh, at that stage, you say, "Well, is it really out of home, or actually is it this fantastic platform that connects all these other things that have been around for a long time and puts them into this one place and allows consumers to get the most phenomenal experience and increasingly this superb uh, value that's very hard to get?" in the modern day world. The way we look at it is, I suppose, the demand for people's attention is increasing from brands and to consumers. How do I grab someone's attention as a consumer? But actually the actual consumers' patience and tolerance, you know, to take content is actually diminishing. So you've got this increasing demand for consumers for something that's becoming more and more finite in a way. So actually these relationships and engagement moments that you have with consumers, in an impactful way with content, are becoming more and more desirable.
1: So some people are familiar with the motion picture that came out, I think, last year and won a lot of awards called Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri. That is a story about the, the old world of outdoor advertising. Yeah. And now we're much more advanced as we think about you know, digital and the kind of the business that actually has really uh, transformed parts of the media industry. So talk about how the outdoor advertising business has really moved over the last few decades and now is really focused on digital, which is really Ocean's sole focus.
2: Yeah, that was my favorite movie of 2018 and uh, also one of my favorite campaigns as well. So we have a triple screen digital iconic location at Holland Park Roundabout, and we displayed the three billboards on that digital screen. So there you've got the old world meeting the new world. The first thing I'd say about that is stature. And one of the reasons why I think that the movie and that campaign was such a phenomenal success is our medium, the oldest medium, arguably, in the world, still has the ability to motivate and galvanise people to do extraordinary things. And that was the thing about that movie. It's three billboards, back of beyond, but used in a certain way, galvanised a whole community into action about a phenomenally sensitive and serious subject. Well, in this day and age, any medium that's got the cut through of that you know has to be at a premium. And then the exciting thing is moving from the old to the new because that stature is still there. It's just the delivery mechanic I and mean, you've got both broadcast and narrowcast working in tandem. So I suppose if you had shot that movie in, you know, the 21st century, you'd have been able to change that message every single day, you know, as the story evolved or by the minute even, you know, as they turned up in their uh, pickup trucks to burn the billboards. You know, you could have gone, oi, don't you do that, you know, (laughs) uh, in in a sort of digital display. No, it's a real-time communication with your audience. Exactly, you've got that real-time element. So I think the medium has completely transformed itself. But there's sort of two phases. Firstly, you've now got the same technology, certainly the ability to have the same technology impact of the screens that you carry in your pocket. And that allows you to do multiple things from dynamically delivering the messages, the fact that the quality of the message is improved, the fact you get two-way interaction, the fact that you can measure the data, the fact that you creatively, you can deliver a campaign in a full motion video, etc. So the medium itself has transformed. But I, I actually think the UK will have a penetration of digital out of home, broadly speaking, around about 50% by the end of this year, certainly Q4 will be 50% penetration of digital out of home. 5-0. Yeah. yeah. That's transformational. But largely that's transformational because the billboard has been replaced with a screen. The next phase of the transformation, I think, is a more interesting phase because that's when you have to then work on, once you've got the technology there and the ability to do it, by and large, we've got Ferraris on the streets that are still driving at 10 miles an hour. They're yet to drive at, you know, 160. So a lot of the interaction, programmatic, the link between the screen in your pocket, the two-way communication, what you can do with data, the relationship you have with the consumer, all of those things are yet to come. And then the other thing, which I think I should say, because this is a a global phenomenon, not just something for, for the United Kingdom, is ultimately the audience is still there. Out of home is super efficient for delivering, you know, young mobile audiences. So even if you strip away the technology and all the really exciting stuff I'm talking about, the fundamental thing about the media is if you want to hit people that you can no longer hit via straightforward print or linear television, you can still hit those numbers in their millions on uh, out of home. You hit all demographics. Yeah, absolutely. But in particular, young and up market demographics, light TV viewers, increasingly difficult to reach. we're super efficient for doing that. And it's a big issue in the UK because you're seeing inflation on linear TV. Advertisers are having to put in either the same money to get less or more money to buy the same rating points. And yet, meanwhile, you've got this platform that's emerged that's able to deliver those audience with full motion video in city centres, urban population audience where people can spend their money. You know, people don't live their lives in their pocket. You know, they live their lives on the streets and that's the power of our medium.
1: So, you know, global media spend is roughly around $543 billion, the U.S., around the world. It's been growing at around 5% a year. Within that, the global outdoor ad spend is around $37 billion. That's been growing roughly around the same, you know, three and a half four percent 4%, and it roughly accounts for about 7% of the total ad market spend. Digital overall, which includes classified, display, digital video, mobile, paid search, social media, everything, is roughly around $205 billion which is about, you know, somewhere around you know 35% market share. That's where all the growth is in advertising. I mean, growth over a big number is still fine because it's over a big number you're seeing material changes. But the digital side is really on uh, supersonic speeds here. Yeah. So when you think about the marketplace, though, and how you think about the global media spend versus consumer time spent, this is where it gets interesting. Based on some recent research, of our time as consumers are spent in out-of-home applicable activities. But only 9% of media spend is spent on that out-of-home. So the people are spending time at around 20% of their time, but the media spend is only about 9%. So there's a disconnect there. When you think about the TV market, about 24% of time spent is on TV, but it receives about 32% of media spend. So that's where the chasm is. So the disconnect works against TV, but obviously has a lot of catch-up still in out-of-home. That's where I think the noise in the marketplace has to get clarified and crystallized here, because I do think that, say, when you look at European broadcasters, healthy companies, but there's a mismatch of time spent and media spend.
2: What's interesting is from out-of-home and digital out-of-home's point of view, I think it's got one of the, you know, the lowest conversions versus time spent. And I think a lot of that is traditional. You're dealing with a legacy structure within the, uh, the agency supply chain and the way in which people do things. To a large degree, the whole industry is still based on creating a fantastic 30-second spot. It's going to take a while for the industry to change. I think you're starting to see the very beginnings of that because, interestingly... If you're a TV operator and you want to distribute content, you promote your programming against the onslaught of Netflix and you go, right, okay, you know, where can I get cut through on the streets to you know, improve my audiences on 1634s? Hmm, actually, digital out of home, that can broadcast content. It hits light TV viewers that we don't hit. Again, we're complementary. If you're commercial radio and you come under threat from Spotify and like they go, what do I do? I need to evolve and I need to have some visual insight as well as audio lends itself to out of home and digital. So I think what you're talking about there, which is a poor conversion to time spent, is something that we're very early stages of shifting over time. I cannot see a situation whereby it's gonna be 34, 24 to TV over a period of time in terms of consumption. I think advertising brands are gonna move more to not necessarily what it is being consumed on, but where it's being consumed and how they're spending their time. And of course, when it comes to location and context, out of home has always been really, really strong in that particular aspect importantly now you've got the connectivity of data you know the person's there you know they saw your ad you know they had a two-way communication you know they then went to a store and purchased something you know they then surfed online etc google facebook twitter you know they're all leaning into digital out of home in particular for those very reasons you know we broadcast itv's grand national on ocean screens up and down the country we have a strong relationship with Channel 4, strong relationship with Sky. These are some of the largest advertisers in our medium in the United Kingdom, and that's because they recognize the value that it delivers. So this conduit and complementary status that the medium has to help all those other people who are bizarrely competitors for advertising pounds deliver their objectives, that's where the medium sits.
1: We've spoken a lot about the outdoor market overall, but I want to get now to Ocean. Just for a refresher for people, because a lot of people don't know the company, Ocean is a publicly traded company. trades on the London Stock Exchange, the LSE, under the symbol O-O-U-T. It has about a $450 million U.S. market cap, plenty of cash, no debt, etc., and is in an expansion mode, both organically and inorganically, as part of the thesis. But Ocean is a small fish in a large ocean, so to speak. Maybe you could tell us what makes it unique and how you operate as a smaller company in the industry with the likes of J.C. Deco, Clear Channel, all the broadcasters being obviously the heavyweights? Yeah, it's a
2: great question. And I suppose we should spend more time, you know, thinking about it. We don't tend to, you know, navel gaze, really. A couple of things I would say. The first one is when we started off 10 years ago, it was all about how do you behave like a market leader from a disruptive position? So we took responsibility for things that perhaps, you know, some of the larger players should have taken responsibility for then, but they were distracted on other things, things such as the the launch of our digital creative competition, which has become world renowned now. Really, that was like an ideas factory. So we very quickly understood it wasn't just about converting a billboard to a screen. It was ultimately transforming a medium into a different media platform. So we've always had a thought that sits beyond our medium. And I think this allowed us to help power the growth of digital out of home as a medium, along with our competitors, but create a unique position within the sector because We've started from a different place. We didn't start with 10,000 billboards that we needed to convert into digital screens. A lot of the environments that we've digitized have been brand new environments where there was no advertising available before, such as uh, Westfield, or we've transformed something completely, such as Piccadilly or the IMAX. And then what we've tried to do is, instead of just saying, this is great, we can serve ads dynamically, we can serve ads by day part, it's not good enough just to change the format by which you deliver because we are competing, and we've always said this, in the all-screen world, not just in the out-of-home world. And therefore, we need technology that allows us to have two-way communication. So, you know, we have Lookout technology, which allows us to serve a different ad based on how long somebody's looking at the screen, for example. You're starting to see that same technology, of course, you see it on your iPhone. We have the ability to deliver super-fast Wi-Fi, which allows people to interact with the screens. So a lot of what we've done is to go one stage beyond just the screen itself as a platform for delivering advertising. Not all of it is unique, but it's just that we obsess about this particular thing all of the time. That's to a certain degree, given us an edge. The other factor is we started off by saying, look, less is more, so it's quality versus quantity. And what's happened as we've evolved and grown faster, we've realized the ability to be able to deliver quality at quantity. So it's a slight pivot from where we were. And that's how we've gone from small number of locations in London, to actually be a market leader in digital out of home in most of the top 10 cities in terms of the share that we can deliver from a digital perspective. Yeah, we don't have you know thousands and hundreds of billboards, but if you're trying to buy a digital out of home campaign with impact and scale in the United Kingdom, then Ocean would be one of the two or three conversations that you would have.
1: But that really is the crux of the company, which is it is a creative company at its core, particularly with a digital distribution segment UK-based today, but that is all exportable as a skill set, especially as you use some of the capital base and the firepower that it's afforded to you to expand in the right way around Europe to start, but potentially in other locations. But that creative restlessness, I find to be at its core. Yeah. And that's really what I've, you're laughing because that's how I've described you <laughs> to you and to others because you're an executive in midstream here in the media business with a lot of passion and hunger But that, to me, is the core of Ocean.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's probably three things if you were to sort of encapsulate them and drill it down. Consumer-led, even if we do convert a billboard, it doesn't happen often, if we do do that or we create something unique, we start off by saying, okay, is there a valuable consumer audience in that location for this product? Is there a value to the advertiser? We think about the advertiser first rather than the P&L because ultimately they pay the bills. So consumer-led first. Second thing is innovation at the core. We've never stopped innovating from the first day. You call it sort of restlessness. Ten years ago, you know, Twitter were nowhere in the United Kingdom. People were just starting to get to grips with Google. You didn't have the frenemy that Google is and the way in which they interact now with the WPPs and the Omnicoms as part of their infrastructure. You know, nobody ever heard of Snapchat. Facebook was just starting to emerge. All these companies have set up ferocious media sales seems in that period of time. And yet across that period of time, where not only in our industry has become more competitive, but the whole, overall landscape has become more competitive. These giants have eaten many people's lunches. Ocean has grown high teens, double digit, year on, year out for a decade. And we couldn't have done that if we didn't have innovation at our core. And then the third thing moves on to the area, the thing that you mentioned at the end there, this sort of digital cities for digital citizens a privilege to get to where we've got to, but we see the value of what we've created in some of these cities as being something that can travel. And it's taken a while, I think, for some of the emerging markets, particularly in continental Europe, to understand that if you're not digital, then you don't exist. You said digital cities for digital citizens. Yeah. What is that? Digital cities for digital citizens is, if I take Manchester, my home city, we operate the Manchester City Council contract there, and we have digitized all of their out-of-home plants into digital screens. A lot of these municipalities increasingly want connectivity and want those screens to add something back to the community. So we develop content that is delivered digitally that comes from Manchester City Council, but it's also distributed across people's mobile devices, etc. We're talking to them around the environment, around pollution levels, around traffic flows. So the more data and the more powerful these screens become, increasingly municipalities... They want these screens to be more efficient for them and give something back to those communities. And that's a phenomenon that is going to happen across the world. Even in the last three years, I've noticed that more as I visit Manhattan. So it's happening everywhere, and that's just our view of it. It's a positioning that allows us to evolve from outside of our home market because we think this is a worldwide phenomenon.
1: You also mentioned the digital creative competition that yeah. Ocean puts on, which I think has some of the winners even going to the Can Lions Awards for the annual advertising festival, what are the digital creative companies? Yeah, I
2: mean, it's been embraced by the whole industry, creatives, media, content providers, even our competitors joined us in it over the years. But basically every year we go to the creative community, the tech community, and we say, okay, what would you like to do with these screens? So create a campaign using our platform and you enter the competition. And in effect, they challenge us to make these screens do things that haven't been done before. So it's the only competition of its kind that awards for the art of the possible rather than awarding for work that's already been created. Out of the competition has been the most awarded in the digital out-of-home and out-of-home category campaigns of the last four years at Cannes. Probably the most famous and the most awarded campaign of all time is Women's Aid, where obviously they came up with this campaign that changed a battered woman's face to heal the longer people stared at the screen, which was based on Quividi's lookout technology.
1: It was a very uh, touching campaign. I remember that really first hooked me into what really Ocean does and what's really special behind it, because there's a relationship between the people on the streets and the screen format, which obviously you could say accrues to advertising and the core model. But if you're really trying to have impact and solve a problem, then you're engaging people to solve that problem directly. And that was a study yeah. and a campaign that you could see it real time, which was incredible to watch. and Very heartwarming.
2: Yes, it's phenomenally powerful. I think the interesting thing, like many of the things that have won the competition, is that they then drive the industry forward to change the commercial model. So there's no question that the Women's Aid campaign has created a greater demand for analytics for how long people are looking at the screen. So you can change copy the longer somebody is looking at the screen. If somebody's staring at it, that copy can evolve. So it's turned something which was a creative, innovative, and altruistic idea into something that's a commercial model. Live streaming. So the first live stream on Digital Out of Home, so live content broadcast was for British Airways, where they filmed a couple on an island just off St. Lucia. They were on the screen live and using sign language, and you had to text to them where you thought they were. And if you got it right, British Airways flew to that destination. Now live streaming on digital out of home is commonplace. So a lot of this innovation is really people testing the capabilities of the screens, and then they basically charge us to go away and make it happen via Ocean Labs. So it's been a great innovative hotbed not just for us, but for the advertising community and also for the sector. So we're we're really proud of that.
1: I want to ask you about technology's influence and attraction to the digital outdoor space. There's one segment of that, which is as a customer, I mean, you have companies like Apple and Google really advertising on your sites and the outdoor space overall, but also as uh, strategic participants. We've also seen Alibaba buy a minority stake in a company called Focus Media, which is a multi-platform out-of-home advertising company. We've seen recent speculation that Google may be looking at out-of-home businesses in Germany. These are strategic moves and also signs of the time. So you mentioned that outdoor advertising in Ocean is a segment where media interacts with technology. You mentioned finance interacts with funk. Talk about the intersection and how you see technology evolving as Ocean a media company or long-term as a technology company.
2: That's a really good question. I mean, the first thing to say is I don't see that changing. I think there are good reasons strategically why these businesses are doing what they're doing, albeit very differently or thinking very differently. From Ocean's perspective, where do I see us? I think we will always be a company that's on the cusp of those two things, where we try and take technology that exists and then shape it and evolve it, add, tweak it uh, to things that work specifically well within our medium. I see us always being in that conduit
1: between the two. I mentioned earlier that Ocean is a, a small fish and a big pond or big ocean, so to speak. And you talked a lot about how, you know, the company has a plan for growth that is really, you know, heads down. But how do you think about partnerships as you try to play bigger than your size as you're growing, given that, you know, we are somewhat small right now? You asked me about the unique thing about ocean over
2: the years. I mean, one of the things that has been commonplace for us is collaboration. We're a very open organization. A lot of the stuff, for example, our neuroscience research it's in the public domain. Anybody can use it. We've been very a collaborative organisation with all people in the food chain within the out-of-home sector, media agencies, creative agencies, outdoor advertising specialists, but equally importantly, media owners. So a lot of our content partnerships are just that, they're partnerships. And I don't want to say too much because a number of the companies that you're talking about would also be businesses, I'm sure, would be keen to partner with the sector. So we have a good history of partnerships and that's one of the way in which we've managed to grow at the level that we've had for example, you've got to have a lot of trust in a company to broadcast the United Kingdom and possibly one of the world's most famous horse races up and down the country. I mean, the Grand National is a national icon in this country. Everybody bets on the Grand National. It's unique steeplechase. And for the last three years, you know, we broadcast that without a glitch in the major city centres, you know, the whole race across what is an advertising platform. We feel honoured to have had that privilege to do that for ITV. But that's an example of innovative partnership, and it's something, you know, we relish that stuff.
1: Not just the race, but we should also talk about the fact that you streamed The Royal Wedding. Well, yes. <laughs> that takes a yeah. lot of trust as yeah. well. Yeah, well, I
2: mean, just for all your listeners out there, that was an instruction from Aria. He said, you know, <laughs> if you don't get The Royal Wedding on one of our streams, one of those content deals, <laughs> your ass is grass, you know, you're gone. But um, no, we did, and that was a historic thing, you see. And that's a great reminder, actually, because that's the power of our medium. So that's something that we turn around literally in 72 hours. You couldn't do that with anywhere else. You know, we had deck chairs out at Westfield and everybody watching it from the screen, courtesy of a feed from the BBC. But importantly, if they want to do something, you need to have the tech pre-set up. And a lot of our screens, it's not just about the screen itself, it's the technology that sits behind it, i.e. we can broadcast live events and guarantee that, you know, you're not going to get a pause in the signal or it suddenly go down and you end up with a, uh, a McDonald's ad in the middle of it or something like that, you know. So um, we're very reliable when it comes to the technology yeah, delivery. Yeah,
1: So we are in the UK. We're sitting in London. Ocean's business is exclusively in the UK yeah. right now. And so we have to talk about Brexit. I'm assuming that you have no influence on the outcome, <laughs> Tim. But uh, But maybe you could talk to me about how Brexit and the different possibilities affects your business. I guess recently Enders, which is a research shop that we respect, published a view saying that a no-deal Brexit could see outdoor advertising benefiting relative to other media, given its high reach and visibility. But obviously, if we end up with the worst possible outcome, people are talking about a recession and things that are much more dark and dire. So how do you think about Brexit as you go about your day-to-day business?
2: Yeah, the big question. The first thing to say, I would say, just on a general point, is complacency is a terrible thing. So as a country... Brexiteers are complacent because they think we should be out and the Remainers are complacent because they think they know better than the electorate. The Europeans are complacent because they think they can jam it to us. You know, complacency is a horrible thing. And that's, I think, why we're in the mess that we're in, because you've got too many complacent people with vested interests not prepared to do the right thing or certainly roll their sleeves up and do the right thing.
1: I always say complacency is the inverse of entrepreneurialism. Yeah,
2: exactly. And I think what we've tried to do over the last certainly the last 10 years. And I think out of home as a sector is really good for this. You're full of people that have got entrepreneurial spirit and actually they're not complacent. You know, they want to grow and they want to grow regardless. But I think on the key thing about Brexit is our business and our sector, going back to the context you talked about, I think this year we'll grow by, you know, four or 5% as a medium. Obviously, Ocean's guided high single digits. As you know, I can't say any more than that. The key thing is, that it's been like that for the last seven or eight years. And in that seven or eight years, we've had more general elections, more votes, a Scottish independent vote, a Brexit vote, the stuff. So to me, this is normal. We have now become used to the fact that nobody's going to do us a favour politically, grow the GDP at three percent 4%. We're all making hay. We're only going to do it off the, the hard work of our own innovation and our own backs. The reason I make that point is I think... Uh, Outdoor is resilient. It's full of entrepreneurial people. It's full of a medium that is innovating and evolving and moving uh, in the right direction. You know, it's in the right slipstream. So I think it will continue to be resilient, regardless of what happens with Brexit.
1: During your time at Ocean, the company has been dynamic in many ways, but also in its ownership structure. What you're operating now has had different owners. First, obviously, there was a management buyout backed by LDC then private equity firm Searchlight's acquisition in 2014, and most recently, as I referred to, Ocelot's acquisition of Ocean. And it's listing now on the London Stock Exchange being public for the first time. So how do you compare working for a private equity firm or being private with now approaching life as a public company as Ocean on the LSE?
2: Just a couple of quick things about that. I mean, the first one is Ocean's been on that journey from VC mid cap private equity to you know small large cap private equity. And I think when you've done eight or nine years of every two or three years of you know turning the business, there's only so long you can continue to run your company in that way. We've been fortunate because we feel as though to a large degree, we had very good partners in the private equity world, the ones that we had. They were trusting of the management. So we kind of mastered that journey, but it does come to a point where it starts to be detrimental to the growth profile of the business. The reason we liked Ocelot and the opportunity to go public apart from, obviously, I think we would be the only media company to have gone through that evolution and achieved that over the last 10 years. So we can say, you know, tick box, pat ourselves on the back. But really, it's about a sustainability of our ambitions and having a model that is going to allow us to breathe and evolve in a way which is not encumbered by having to flick the business every 18 months because of the PE guys have got to tick that particular box. So for us, it gives us uh, independence, it enshrines the ocean name. And yeah, it's a bold move. But as we've been going around the investors, the thing that hadn't dawned on me when doing the roadshow is we meet a lot of people and they kind of go, bloody hell, you know, there aren't that many media companies left that are listed in the UK that are pure media operators and advertising operators. So we've had a very warm response. So yeah, it's bold. And I think the key differences for me are the first one I've mentioned is you know, we're not worrying about the next exit from a management point of view. It's given us, the business, a really high profile at a time when it's really important with everything that's going on in the marketplace. The simple fact is once you're in the public domain, there's an added impetus and profile to you as a business. So we're more high profile now for some of the things that we've been doing for a long time. So if you like, there's a fame factor to that listing. That benefits the overall business in terms of growth the introductions, the opportunities, the doors that open. And then I suppose the the third difference is something that's a bit quirky. I think the PE model, in a way, they're uh, kind of in the bull pit with you, whereas in the public markets and our partnerships now, we've got a sort of more longer-term strategic view. Those would be my three key differences.
1: And look, Liontree, as a shareholder, is committed to the investment in the company and to helping where we can. And obviously, myself as a board member, quite active, in seeing that through as well. It's an exciting moment for the segment and for Ocean and for the management team. The overall governing philosophy that I've talked about is we'll do what's best for shareholders today and over the long-term in any respect. But when you think about the plan as you see it today, Tim, you have you know, organic growth opportunities both in the UK and obviously build opportunities outside of the UK. You have m a pipeline opportunities, you have a strong balance sheet. You have a public company. You like the segment you're in. Hopefully you like your shareholder base and your sponsorship. Where do you see OSHA over the next five years? I suppose we are the ultimate opportunists.
2: So we always see the glasses half full. When it comes to the organic growth, we've just won two major tenders. We're a tender we won two years. We're about to roll out in June. We'll be in 20 cities by uh, 2020. The organic pipeline for the businesses, it's never been as strong as it is now. In the past, when the business has operated over nine years, for PE, any one of those things would probably have gotten to the business plan. Oh, good. You've got a great organic pipeline. Tick. Thank you, Tim. Oh, oh, great. We've got some Bolton and m Oh, tick. That's good as well. Oh, oh, fantastic. You're developing some technology. We've never had a situation where all three are in a stronger position as they are now. So organic growth opportunities are ferociously strong, the ability to input technology at scale is also picks up a lot of momentum. And then, you know, we've got dry powder for m and I have a sort of different view to some of the investors. So we go back to your Brexit question. I'm sort of wandering around going, just tell me one more time, what's the problem again? You know, we have no debt. We're ferociously ambitious. We have the ability to do bolt on M&A in a world where anything could happen at any time and we can move really, really fast without having to raise debt, et cetera. And the organic business and profile of the business is in as good a health as it's been. For me, I kind of say, you know, bring it on.
1: All right, I like that. Well, Tim, thanks for being here. We look forward to hearing more updates on the regularly scheduled earnings calls and shareholder updates. I was really happy to feature you here on KindredCast to talk about something that's really important to us both emotionally and financially, and also as part of the uh, industry perspectives that we have. And Tim, I wish you all the best success as you uh, get out there and keep your head down and build a great business for us.
2: Yeah, thanks, Sarri. I really appreciate it.
0: I hope you enjoyed our show today. If you want to check out any prior episodes, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Feel free to leave a review there as it helps people find the show. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at KindredCast for behind the scenes photos and info. Keep listening and see you next time. Audiation.